0: be in Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, and that is where we're going to be as we continue through our study verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, and as we've gone through these times, uh, we told you last week that Hebrews chapter 7 is going to be the start of a long section. I don't want that to scare you, but I do want to be realistic with you. You're going to be learning a name, and I want you to say it with me if you can. Can you say Melchizedek? Okay, you got it down. We're probably going to call him Mel for short. Uh, so if that slips out of my, my uh, words today, Melchizedek, I've been in that name all week. So if he goes by Mel, it's okay. We, it, we're just going to go with it. But I want you to know if you're visiting with us, we, we do value here the, the, the preaching of the word verse by verse the best we can. Next week will be a topical sermon. We'll be talking about the return of Christ. You've had a lot of questions from our study in Sunday school. We're going to take an angle of that, but usually every week we're in the Bible. We are doing a verse-by-verse study. So if you're able this morning to stand up in honor of God's word, let's stand together as we are just reading three verses this morning. Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll be verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 7, 1 to 3. Today's sermon title is greater than, that's the big topic we've been on the last several months, and it's greater than types, types, T-Y-P-E-S. And here God's word this morning, remember he has been, he's, he took an interlude the last several weeks where he was calling out those who were around God's people but weren't part of God's people. Now, back in chapter five, he said, I want to tell you about Melchizedek, but we got to take a detour. Now he's back on the main road and he's talking about how Melchizedek, a type of Christ relates to the God-man, Jesus Christ. We'll unpack it today, verses 1 to 3. Hear God's word this morning. For this is Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. He met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father, referring to Melchizedek, or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life but resembling the son of god he continues a priest forever i've had a few of you ask me this week is melchizedek a t- it was jesus christ really melchizedek the answer i'm just going to tell you right now no he was not melchizedek was a man jesus is the god man and that's going to be important as we unpack this today As we go through, you pray with me. So glad to see you this morning. Let's go before the Lord and we will trudge through this technical section and lead the way for the next several weeks. Let's go before the Lord as we pray. Fathers, we come to you. These names of Melchizedek and Abraham may not have much meaning in a week that uh, as we have sung in other songs, where in the highs and the lows and the ups and downs, Lord. It may seem like this has no relevance to us. But, Father, as the book of Hebrews was inspired by your spirit and has been softened to us by translation to our lives, Father, by the same spirit, we thank you that, to remind ourselves that Jesus is superior. He is the better of everything. He's the greatest of all. He's Lord of lords and King of kings. So, Father, we pray this morning as we talk about names and, 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 and history and all those things, that in the midst of that, no matter what we're facing this week, you remind us that you are the same God who took care of these two men so long ago, and you're the same God who takes care of everyone who calls upon your name by faith alone, in Christ alone, until kingdom come and forevermore. Lord, we love you so much. Give us wisdom today. We pray this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, as we come to this time, I I shared a uh, joke last night at the men's dinner. I'm not gonna share that with you about Melchizedek and Jesus going to a, a restaurant of sorts, but So we're just going to leave that alone because this is a section, and I did, I don't often do this, but I went around to various uh, different types of sermons. And I just wanted to see, how did pastors introduce a section? Did they have a funny joke? Was it a story? How did they introduce a section? And you know what all the pastors, I looked at like 50 sermons. You know how all of them did it? They just jumped right in. Because for most people, Melchizedek is enough of a curiosity that getting into it just really satisfies the taste that you have to know what this is. Now, how many of y'all have ever heard a sermon on Melchizedek? This I was curious about. Melchizedek. A few y'all, I mean, if you've been through Hebrews, you probably have, maybe in a few years. But Melchizedek is one of these guys that just kind of pops up. And it's almost like when you've talked to someone in discussion and they bring up someone's name. And they say something like, so-and-so is a good example of that. Or according to so-and-so, this is what we should do. And it's about then you want to stop them and say, just wait a minute, who's so-and-so that you keep talking about? And that's exactly how Melchizedek fits in Hebrews. He just kind of jumps on the scene. But at this point in our book, we might be thinking the same thing about him. Who is this writer? Who exactly is Melchizedek? Amy will put this up on the screen, but we know from Psalm 110, we looked at this in earlier verses that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And he said this, speaking of, uh, of Christ, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So if it's something attached to Christ in the Psalms and prophecy, what he's about to say to us in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 has to be very important for us today. And so I want you to know as we start this section, we have rescheduled our sermons. You ready for this? We will be through chapter 10 by the end of August, by Labor Day. So God is good, and that's a good thing. But this name is going to come up a lot. So if you see Melchizedek in your reading again and again and again and again, you're going to keep saying amen, 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 right? Because it's going to get rote. It's going to be routine. But chapter 7 is going to tell you that Jesus is of a better order. He's of Melchizedek, not of Aaron. Chapter 8 is going to tell you that Jesus is of a better covenant. It's the new covenant, not the old system. Chapter 9 is going to tell you Jesus is a better sanctuary. It's heavenly. It's not earthly. He's going to tell you in chapter 10 that Jesus is a better sacrifice. He's not animals anymore. It's Christ once-for-all sacrifice. And through all of this, we have to ask the question today, what did, who's Melchizedek? What did he do? How does it relate to Jesus? And what in the world, Pastor, does this have to do with me, my life, in 21st century America, on May 21st, 2022, the big idea today—if you're visiting with us—this is simply a summary of the the, the the passage that we go through, is that Jesus is the temple to end all temples, the priest to end all priests, and the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. That is a big picture about who Melchizedek is in relation to Christ and what Christ came to do. Look, Jesus is the Christ; he's the Messiah. He's the creator, the ruler, the prophet, the priest, the mediator, the king of kings, Lord of lords, son of God, son of man, son of David, and the image of the invisible God. And in all of that, this name Melchizedek relates to who Christ is. Mysterious at times he may be, yet so true about what is about to be said about him. So I want you to know Most sermons do chapter seven in like two shots. We are taking five sermons to go through chapter seven. I was overwhelmed by it. I'm sure you could do it in one, but we're gonna do it in five, right? You got that? So if you miss next week, when you're traveling for Memorial Day, we're not doing Hebrews next week. We're gonna skip two weeks, so everyone's on the same page. I think it's that important. This morning, and Amy will put this up there, we're gonna be looking at seven comparisons between Melchizedek, fulfilled in Christ, that remind us to trust him, obey him, and expect great things for him from Christ now and forevermore. All right, let's get to the first one. These are very straightforward. You know me. I'm a simple man. I'm not a smart guy, so I think you can follow along. If you're taking notes, it'll be up on the screen. Look back at verse 1. He says this, the first comparison, is that Melchizedek is king of Salem, which translated Means king of righteousness, excuse me. Melchizedek is king of righteousness. I'm mixing verses one and two. He's king of righteousness. What does this mean? This is not a name that people use. You don't, I looked this up just out of curiosity. If you go to the census and you look up the name Melchizedek, it's been used less than 40 times in the United States since 1962. There, are you happy now? Now you know. In most instances, it's used overseas in Israel. It's a name that means, it literally can mean, Uh, melchizedek can literally mean my king is righteousness he was a king he was a king literally of a city-state called salem which we now know as jerusalem he possessed the right to rule he was the king who ruled he was the head honcho the buck stopped with him he did so though with righteousness he did so with fairness he did so with what is right all power doesn't necessarily have to corrupt and from what we know of Melchizedek, he was one whom the people could trust. We don't know much about him, but he's called the king of righteousness. So how he ruled was how he was pictured. And the same is true with your Savior. Jesus Christ is a king, is he not? He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's sovereign. He's enthroned. He possesses all authority in heaven and on earth. And he exercises the sovereignty every second of every day. And he never mismanages anyone's life and I want to use this word, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. What did I not say? I did not say that Melchizedek is who? Jesus Christ. He is a type of Christ. In your family, if you have a generation thing, and some of you all have a name where you're like the fourth or the fifth, Bob Jr. the fifth or something like that, or Joe Bob the fifth or whatever you got, you may be related to or you may—they may look at you and say, "Hey, you remind me of Joe Bob the Second. You're a type of Joe Bob the second. And you would say, "Well, that makes sense. That's exactly what's happening here. You're not Joe Bob the Second. You're Joe Bob the Fifth, or whatever you are. I don't know who Joe. If you're Joe Bob here, forgive me. We're picking on you today, or Jim Bob, or one of those. I don't know. But you see how this relates." Jesus Christ, Melchizedek, is not Jesus Christ, but in his work as a human, a sinful human, he pointed to a greater type in Jesus Christ. David was a type of Christ. Jonah was a type of Christ. In all these messy people, in all their messy lives, God took a portion of that and used it to point forward to a greater one coming, and his name is Jesus so he is first a king of righteousness. And I want you to know, and Amy will put this up, what God asks of us is always right. And when he promises us something, it is always good. That means everything he does, Jesus is the king of righteousness in every situation. He doesn't have to clean up his mess. He doesn't reroute anything. Isaiah 9 says, Upon his shoulders shall the universe rest. Everything he does so, he does so perfectly perfectly. Isaiah eleven two 2-5 reminds us that Jesus doesn't make knee-jerk reactions, but with righteousness, Isaiah eleven four, 4, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and righteousness shall be a belt around his waist, and a faithfulness to the belt of his loins. God's wisdom never fails. And I want you to know that. He's right in all he does. Our God is sovereign, he's good, and he's engaged, and as the Bible says, can the judge of the earth ever do wrong? So as we come to Melchizedek, I want you to know the writer labels him as the king of righteousness, but he points to the greater king of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ himself. That is point number one. The second comparison he makes between the two, and pardon my voice this morning, I've got some um, allergy thing, maybe you do too. But the second thing we see here is, is that not only is a king of righteousness, but this Melchizedek was also a king of peace, a king of peace. You see that very clearly in verse 2. For this Melchizedek is king of Salem. Again, I mentioned this a minute ago, but Salem is where Jerusalem is. David took over Jerusalem once and for all, but during a time in Abraham's day, Salem was where Melchizedek ruled. We don't really know how he got it, but he did. Salem is the excuse me is the Hebrew word for shalom. Do you know what shalom means? It means peace. It absolutely means peace. This is why Paul opens up almost every one of his New Testament letters with grace to you and peace. He you cannot have peace without grace. Grace is the Greek greeting charis, meaning that without the grace of God, you would never know the peace of God. And so we know that He's a King of Peace. Now, this means that all his subjects enjoyed peace throughout his rule, Melchizedek's did. Not war, but prosperity. And I want you to know that as we point back to Christ, that all who've entered the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings a peace to them that that can only come from God himself. So what type of peace does he bring? Well, Christ brings two types of peace. Amy, if you just want to put both of them up, that would be appreciated. There are two types of peace that are brought within the scheme of those who know Jesus Christ. The first piece is an objective piece. The objective piece are the facts of the world. I can know that if I jump off a building without a parachute, things are probably not going to go well with me, right? That's an objective fact of life. But the objective fact of peace with God, especially in Christ, is that he will bring a peace with God on your behalf, should you know Christ. Romans 5.1, do you know it? That that, That we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you grateful for that? This world looks around for peace all the time. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, we were at war with God, but Jesus became our peacemaker. The gospel was the peace terms which we come to God with. If there is one person not to be at war with, if you're not a Christian here today, it is God himself. God loves sinners, amen? But because of the holiness of God, there is an infinite reaction War is over for those who come to Christ. But those without Christ, you stand at war with God until you come to his surrender of peace. And that is only found in Christ. So if you're a Christian, you objectively are in Christ. You are secure in Christ, to put it another way. But you also are, there is a subjective peace. There's a peace that comes within your heart. Philippians 4.4 4 says, don't be anxious, Four six, excuse me, don't be anxious about anything. But pray about all things and let the peace of God rule your hearts. But there's no peace for those who are outside of Christ. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16, 33, you know these words well. Jesus said, I said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I Have overcome the world. Do you know that people will literally kill other people to get peace? But in God's economy, his son was the only sacrifice that had to be killed so that you and I could be objectively secure in relationship with him, but also subjectively in our hearts when this world rages around us or our mind rages within us, we can have the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. What a great God that is. Melchizedek was this priest as a man, but the greater priest was in Christ who brought the ultimate priest. That's number two. This Melchizedek was also a priest of God. Notice number three, he was also a priest of God. You see that in verse one. It says in Hebrews 7, one, it says, he was a priest of the most high God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, pastor. This was during the time of Abraham. There weren't priests. There was no law. There was no Levites or or, or line of Aaron. How could there be a priest when there was no law? I mean, Moses hadn't even come on the scene yet. That's some hundreds of years later. This priest here, there was someone in his nation that were saved. There were some in in his nation, of Melchizedek's nation, that were true believers in the Most High God. And I want to remind you, this was not an abnormal thing. Think about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember him? The centurion? Who stood up and, and worshipped God, and, and God came to him and said, "There's going to be a man coming to you to tell you the rest of the story." As uh, uh, what was that old guy you say? The rest of the story, that old radio voice guy, Paul Harvey. Thank you. And he came. Peter did, and told Cornelius about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't know how the, the, the we do not know how Melchizedek and all his people came to know the true God, but somehow out of that ark. Through some of the people that came out of the ark, some way through the years, there was a family, even a small one, that became a kingdom that believed in God. And I want to encourage you with that today. If you're a Christian here today, and you are the only believers within a stone's throw of your family, and you think that there's no one else around you who understands you, I want to remind you what God told Elijah. I have 8,000 people who have not bowed, 7,000, whatever it was, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Be faithful, stay faithful. This priest of God, there was no priesthood yet. The law hadn't come, but yet God raised him up. So what's a priest do? He represents you before God. Kings rule over you, but priests go before God for you. The first priest mentioned in the Bible was Moses himself prior to Melchizedek. This is what makes it leaf off the page. He did not come through the line of Aaron, which is how the priests were established in the Old Testament. This is Melchizedek. Anyone who was a king could be a king, but they couldn't be a priest. I mean, there was a guy who tried that. Do you remember his name? Another name you don't name your kids after, Uzziah. Uzziah went into the temple one day and said, hey, well, I'm I'm the king. I don't need you. I can make sacrifices myself. Do you remember what happened to Uzziah? He had something pretty bad happen to him. God spotted him with leprosy right on the spot because he tried to perform something that was there. Look, being a priest is not a political matter. It's a spiritual matter. That's why we do not, if I can just jump off the page for a second here, that's why we don't allow political candidates to take over this pulpit. I pity churches who do. Oh, he's just coming to tell us about pro-life and all these things. Oh, yeah, right. If you want your pulpit to be strong for the word of God, then you bring people who preach you the word of God. Your church lives or dies by what is taught from this word. Melchizedek was only the one that we are aware of ever to serve as king and ever to serve as priest in a dual capacity. But friend, your savior has also done that, hasn't he? He is our sovereign savior. As a king, he sovereignly rules. There's not a maverick molecule, Sproul said, in this universe. As a priest, he redemptively saved you. John eleven fifty one. Amy, you can put up the next little slide or next little thing. But John 11, 51 and 52 says, the high priest prophesied that Jesus would not die for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Christians, by his blood, Jesus brought the success of world missions. We need to finish it, and we need to hasten the day of God with it. I want to remind you that as Jesus died on that cross, he secured your salvation once and for all. But he also called all of us to be his disciples, to go to wherever he calls us to, to share the gospel, to raise up people in the faith, and to send them out all over again, and again, and again, and again. Only because we have a high priest, Jesus, who died for us, who's also king, can we go with a triumphant message, no matter what is brought against us. Brother Doug shared about some disaster relief folks going to Ukraine and helping and all those things. Uh, We've shared before the seven seminaries in Ukraine have literally been bombed out. Most of their presidents have died. Christians in Ukraine are suffering greater things. Even in Russia, they're suffering. But I want you to know, no matter where you are in this world, your call has not changed. You are called to go and share the gospel with everyone. And if, if, if Melchizedek can do it in his little slice of the world when no one else around him really believed that stuff, apparently... You can do it too, all by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's number three. Number four, the other comparison here is, is that Melchizedek was a bestower of blessings. He was a bestower of blessings. You see that in verse one. You notice here that he met, it says, Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. Now, I won't go there for sake of time, but I wanna hearken you back uh, to, to Genesis for a moment. There was a time when Abraham was fighting. They stole his uh, nephew Lot. Lot was always getting in trouble, wasn't he? Lot was just always that guy that, you know, parents, you've probably had that kid before. We're not to that stage that calls you up and says, hey, I got another flat tire. Here I am again. Can you come bail me out? Or, man, I ran out of gas on the highway, Deb. Can you come, like, put some money in my tank or what? You all know someone like that, don't you? That's how Lot was. Lot was Abraham's nephew, and Lot was captured and he'd get saved by Abraham later on in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's Just a whole story about him. But Lot was captured. And Abraham took uh, several hundred men and he went and, and took back the rightful property that Lot lost. And he got his nephew back and all these things. And as he came back, Genesis tells us, Melchizedek shows up. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. The blessings of God were remediated from Melchizedek to Abraham. What God intended for Abraham was sent through Melchizedek. But I want you to know as he met him, you see this in verse 1, as he met him, he, uh, the ESV says that he blessed him. How did he bless him? <clears throat> Excuse me. He blessed him by way of reminding him who the true God was, what he had done for him, and what he had meant to him. And Christian, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is an even greater Melchizedek. He's bestowed upon you the blessing upon blessings. I encourage you today, if you have nothing else to do, or even if you do, to go and reread Ephesians chapter 1 that Brother Brian read and Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to circle this phrase. When you see the phrase, in him, in Christ, you circle that over and over and over again. And over, Because when Abraham came back, Melchizedek reminded him that Abraham wasn't your strength that saved you. It was God working on your behalf to save you. And when we get to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul reminds the people that you didn't save yourself. God didn't choose you because you were pretty. God chose you because he chose you. And he loves you because he loves you. He's predestined you. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's enlightened you. He's sealed you. He's raised you. He's seated you next to him in the heavenlies. And all of our blessings come from the greatest bestower, which is Christ himself. Yes, there is common grace. God's reign, Matthew 5 says, falls on the just and the unjust, but salvation blessings are only on those who are in Jesus Christ. And friends, Amy will put this up. If you know Christ, if you have a good church, if you've heard the gospel, and sang with the saints today, or any Sunday, or any day of the week, you have inestimable blessings before you. Your life may be shambles, your laundry pile may be taller than you are, and your floors as dirty as dirty can be. But if you are here with God's people, hearing the Word of God preached and sung, well, Pastor, I'd like to have more hymns, or Pastor, I'd like to have more contemporary worship songs. Well, go talk to Brian. That's not my job. That's his job, right? I'm kidding Brian by the way or man if, if we just did this faster if we did that look great suggestions we always take feedback but the bottom line is this you're here today hearing something that most people have longed to hear have longed to sing have longed to hear proclaimed and would give the right arm and then some to go and get don't forget that blessing and if you're visiting with us or if you're if you're going between churches, and and that is a that we we acknowledge that's an awkward place to be because you're visiting new people, new places. We want you to know that Christ is our king, and he's preached here often, and we want to be his best friend. We don't want to be seeker-sensitive. We want to be sensitive to the seeker, which is God himself, and that's what we know. God is good. To have Christ is to have everything. He's a bestower of blessings. Melchizedek did it in a physical way. Christ did it in a spiritual way. Number five, Comparing Melchizedek and Christ, he was a receiver of tithes, a receiver of tithes. This gets into verse 2. He says, and to him Abraham apportioned or gave a tenth of everything, a tenth of everything. Oh, here it comes. Come on, pastor. You, we know where you're going with this. Look, we are not the Mormon church. Some of you were alive 10 years ago when Mitt Romney ran for president. Do you remember this? Seems like a lifetime ago in many ways. We've had three kids and we've been married, you know, you know, you get how that time flies, all those analogies, right? But there is a big hubbub about this in November of 2012. Do you remember this? He's a he's a member of the Mormon church. When you're a member of the Mormon church, some of y'all here, we'll sign a, a covenant together when you become a member. And, and it just says, hey, we're going to do this together. We're about Christ, all those things. But they literally want your bank account. And they literally say, we're going to take 10% of your gross income no matter what. Come hell or high water, with your income, we're taking ten percent. We don't do that here. We're not going to start that here. But when Mint Rock, you all remember this? It was all how he gives ten percent of his money away to a church. Church. It was just like whoa. But in those days, that started because of what happened here between Abraham and Melchizedek. As he gave a tenth of all that he gave, all God gave to him, he gave it back to Melchizedek as a way to bless him for blessing himself. And Melchizedek would lay it before the Lord. Look, let me just say, time out, side note, the Bible does not say you have to give 10%. Do you know what the Bible says? Just be a cheerful giver. So if you give 95% of your income or you give 1%, you're to give out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. I heard this many years serving with someone who's in this congregation. You give out of your relationship to Jesus Christ. So for some of you, you get hung up, I gotta give 10%, look, you give if you give nine point nine percent, is God gonna just strike you dead on the spot? I hope not. could he? Maybe, but that's not our God. The New Testament is about grace and giving out of that relationship. But I want you to know as we bring our gifts to God, we bring them to Christ in His kingdom. When you give to this church or any place, you're not giving just to pay bills. That's part of it. You're giving to extend God's kingdom. Don't lose that focus. If you're visiting with us, we have preached one money sermon in eight years I've been here. One money sermon. All I'm going to say about that, Amy, if you will, the gospel gets beyond tithing, though. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave his whole life. Can you imagine if Jesus got up on that cross and said, I'm only going to give you 10% of who I am? Okay but that's how we often live our lives. There are religions around us who that's what they believe about Jesus, that they believe his sacrifice was not enough. They believe that everything he gave was not enough. They believe that somehow they have to fill the gap because Jesus's death was not uh, efficacious enough. He use the old dead word. Christ, I wanna remind you what Christ did. He gave his whole life for you so you could give your whole life to him. That's it. And not one drop of Jesus' blood was in vain. I am so grateful Jesus did not chop up his ministry into 10% and leave us with the other 90 because you would never get to heaven any other way. If you are saved by grace through faith, you are saved because Christ gave his all for you. That's why every religion who tries to add anything to Jesus is a false religion. And I'm not going to go through a list, but that's where he leaves it. The gospel gets beyond tithing. Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave his whole life. All right, let's move on to number six. Two more. Melchizedek, it says, is a priest without beginning. You may be curious about this. He's a priest without beginning, and that's a comparison to Christ. Look at verse two and verse three. It says he is without father. He is without is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, then he's king of Salem, king of peace. Verse 3, he's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Well, he must be an alien, right? If you're if you're seeing uh, History Channel, they get, it must be the aliens.